Hi! What's up? It's Corey Wong here. I am the host of the Wong Notes podcast. Today's guest is, well, me. It's the season one finale of the Wong Notes podcast, and I am here to do a little recap of some of the things that I've learned, some of the lessons, and just fun things that I've noticed from the artistry and creative pursuit of the people I've interviewed this season. I've also taken a bunch of questions from people online. I got about 60 questions, and I'm going to choose about 10 of them because a lot of them were overlapping and... Uh, They're just the questions that stood out to me the most. So I'm going to address those questions. For those of you who have been listening to the podcast this season, this is the spot where I normally introduce the guest. And since I am the guest, I guess I have to tell you what I do. So my name's Corey. I'm the guitar player in the band Wolfpack and Fearless Flyers, which is like a side project of Wolfpack. And I also do a lot of my own solo music, which you can check out on Spotify or YouTube or wherever you listen to music. I don't know, whatever. Wherever you listen to music, it's there. Just look up my name. I've also done a lot of session work, produced a lot of albums, and I'm going to talk about some of those later in the episode because somebody asked about that exact thing. So I'm not going to hold you up any longer. Let's hit it! All right, folks, you're listening to a guitar podcast. What does that mean? I'm going to talk a little bit about guitar gear, okay? Now, this podcast is presented by Fender and Premier Guitar Magazine. So, today we're talking about that Fender Player Series. Fender is stoked to welcome the Duo Sonic Mustang and Mustang Bass to the Player Series family. Shorter scale necks, cool asymmetrical shape, classic Fender colors. It's a win-win-win. I personally have a Mustang PJ bass out of the player series, and I love it. That one, it's my personal favorite out of the basses there because I can get the J sound with the bridge pickup, and I can get more of the P sound with the neck pickup, and the middle is a nice little blend. As far as the guitars go, the Duo Sonic, the Mustang, cool designs. Obviously, everybody, come on, we're guitar players. You're familiar with the Stratocaster. You're familiar with the Telecaster. But don't let your research stop there. Designed for authentic fender tone with a bit of an edge, Alnico single coils, split coil and humbucking pickups. You get your foot in the past while looking to the future of guitar tone. Now what I would suggest, try to go to a fender dealer, see if you can get your hands on one of these necks because the modern C-shape is really cool. Fits really nice in my hand. If you can't get to a Fender dealer, check out the website. If you have any other Fender guitar that you can reference, there's a really cool diagram where you can see the shapes of all the Fender necks and the styles of necks. This one, really comfortable, very playable. I love the modern C-shaped neck. Now, I talked about the Mustang, Mustang bass, Duo Sonic, but yes, they've got the Telecaster. They've got the Stratocaster with the kind of specifications across the player series. So go check it out. If you're curious, hit Fender.com. You can see a whole array of things there. Check out their YouTube page. Dig it. All right, let's do this thing. So I have done 11 episodes of this podcast, season one. And tell you what, I'm going to do a season two. It's not that I couldn't get a guest for this last episode of the season. It's just that I wanted to do a little recap. And I also just wanted to connect with some of you who are listeners because I know many of you have asked me questions throughout the season. So here we are. One thing that I noticed, the main thing that I got out of doing these interviews and the main reason why I wanted to do this podcast 
in the first place, obviously to interview some of my heroes and to just get some different wisdom and insight about the guitar and the approach to that role in music, but also just creativity and artistry in general, how to take that creativity and artistry and best mine it to its purest form to be able to present to people. And if you've listened to all of the podcasts or even just one or two of them, you'll notice that I asked a lot of people about what it is that makes something iconic, what it is that makes something, I don't know, legendary. And the overwhelming response is to find something that is uniquely you. And it's this theory that I've had for a long time now, only because I finally discovered my voice on the instrument a few years ago. And from doing that, I found that I connected so much more with the audience that I'm playing for, with myself as a person, and also just connecting more with my calling in life. And that sounds kind of weird. Maybe that sounds a little wooey or whatever, but I don't know. It's very real. And interviewing all of these legends over the last season, I found that that's absolutely true. The thing that gives you the most meaning in your life and what you do is just living out who you are on your instrument and finding a way to express who you are through the music that you play. And sometimes we as musicians want to mimic others and that's okay. And we want to absorb the information and musicality and skills of our heroes like I've done and like pretty much all of us do, right? We learn the language, we learn the licks, we learn the standards in whatever feel, in whatever genre we're playing in. But it's then taking that and forming your own thing using all of your influences. Now, I'm a funk guitar player for the most part, but I'm hugely influenced by ska and punk music and by classic rock. And I have a huge background in playing classical and acoustic guitar. And that really has a lot to do with the way that I play the guitar. And the genre that I play might not seem like those other things would be influences, but they definitely contribute to the way that I play and the way that I use my voice as a person and express who I am on my instrument. So that was the overwhelming thing that I found through this season is to just find your voice and be uniquely you. And the follow-up to that is that honestly is how you stand out, especially in today's social media era. People are always asking, how do I get noticed? I'm really good at what I do, but uh, nobody's paying attention. Well, are you just kind of another one of those players that does the same thing as everybody else? Or are you doing something unique that stands out and is a little bit different? I think that's something we have to reconcile with ourselves and take a step back and look from above. Okay, is what I'm doing uniquely me or is it something that's basically the same as everybody else? Because I think also there's loosely a genre of Instagram guitarists. Once you finally see that, it's like, oh... Yeah, these cats are all doing like the same thing. And I don't know, I get it and it's good and it's cool. But it's it doesn't touch me at my core. So and that's not to say all of the people that are doing that don't do that because some do. But 
I think the lesson is find something that's you, let the people know, and that's how you're going to connect with people. Because ultimately, music is about connection, and it's about emotion, and it's about bringing somebody along for not only your journey, but helping them along their journey as well. So that might sound a little cheesy, but that's what I got out of this season. Okay. Now let's get on to some of these questions. Like I said, there was about 60 questions that came through email, Instagram, Facebook, even YouTube. A couple people were asking questions. So I chose a handful of them that I'm going to address. Here we go. First up was Aaron Sugarspokes. His question was, is there a single speaker tube amp for funky cleans, R&B and rock? And is there also a plug-in that can do the same? Well, Aaron, do I have a surprise for you? Let me address the plug-in first. <laughs> Neural DSP, Archetype Corey Wong plugin. Come on! You're just playing softball here, teeing me up. I'm serious, though. It is a dope plugin. And everybody that I've shown it to has been like, wow, this is exactly that thing and the best version of this thing I have ever used. Even some of my friends that are complete tube amp snobs said, wow. This plugin is insane. I don't know what's going on, but it sounds great. So check that out. There's three different amps in there. There's a bunch of pedals and things. That's the plugin answer. Okay, easy. As far as a single speaker tube amp, well, I guess I would say if we're stuck with a single speaker, I would say a Fender Deluxe Reverb. Although for funky cleans, I keep the reverb all the way off. The way that I normally would use a Fender tube amp is I turn all the knobs to five and then turn the reverb all the way off, vibrato off if there's a vibrato. And then I normally back down the volume because normally those amps are too loud at that level. But I also really like the DV Mark Raw Dog amp that's not fully tube. It's got a micro tube in it. That thing is great because it's got a little more punchy in your face thing, but it's not the pure tube sound. Some people want that. Some people don't. That's fine. Roland JC120, dope amp. But we're getting to a heavy two-speaker amp. And at that point, we're then comparing more to a twin reverb, but just kind of the solid-state version. So I guess the simple answer is a Fender Deluxe reverb. Those amps are dope. Okay, next question was Xavier J. Hey, Corey, love the podcast. Gets me through the workday. I was wondering if there are any hidden tunes out there that you're on that we may not know about. <laughs> well, uh, yes, there are a lot. And this is actually where I'm going to go into a little more rather than just answering your question. By the way, thank you for listening. And I'm glad that it helps you get through your workday. Uh, yes, there's a lot of tunes out there that I've played on that people don't know about that I've either not told people about or maybe you just don't know. Some I've played on tons of albums. I've played on hundreds of songs, thousands of songs actually at this point. But some of them that you might not know about, easy ones that I'll just shout out. The last few Ben Rector albums, I think the last few, last couple, I've played on those and those are really fun. Ben is an incredible artist. I toured with him for several years and he's a good friend, incredible songwriter. I've played on some of those. My friend Dave Barnes has an album out called Who Knew It Would Be So Hard to Be Myself. And that actually is one of the first albums that I played on where I felt like I had my own voice. This was 2018. And this is around the time where I found out my thing, I guess, on the guitar. And 
I had a bunch of friends like Theo from Wolfpack hit me up the day that album came out and said, bro, I just got to call you and say, I don't need to ask whether it's you on the new Dave Barnes album. I already know it's you because it couldn't be anybody else. So love the way you play on that. Love that album. Hit me up later, whatever it was. But that was the first time that somebody said, oh my gosh, this is no doubt 100% you on this album. It wasn't, hey, did you play on this album? And anyways, that's one of the few albums that I guess Dave allowed me. He wanted me to play that way. Sometimes I'll play on records and people will say, hey, I just need guitar. And I know that you can give me good guitar on the first pass. We just, we have limited studio time and it's really expensive. So give me two passes of big stereo diamonds on the choruses. Give me an eighth note driving thing and give me something high and tight in the verses. Okay, cool. People don't always want me to be Corey Wong on their albums. And that's totally cool. You have to play what's appropriate for the producer, for the artist, and mostly for the song. So there are some songs that I've played on uh, that I've listened back to and I've thought to myself, oh yeah, I did play on that song. Ah, I don't like the way that they placed my timing. That is not where I put that when I played on the album. Or, oh, really? They cut out all the low end out of my tone and now I sound like a mosquito? Ah, okay. Well, that's what they thought was appropriate. And that's fine. But it, I don't know. I, I, I think the equivalent is maybe like, okay, now I'm, I'm going to compare myself to Monet. And I know I'm not clearly not at the artist level that Monet was. But it would be like taking a Monet painting and putting an Instagram filter on it and showing it back to him. And he'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. Uh, that's not how the lily pads are supposed to look. The green is like this. Or no, 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 no. The blues that I chose for the water are not this. These are way too dark. I don't know. Maybe it's that sort of thing. But also, I don't know. If I'm playing on somebody else's work, I want them to be happy. And if that's what they wanted, sure, great. Sometimes I'm just hired to go in, do a job, and then I do my job and let the artist do their thing or the producer do their thing with it. And I hear that a lot of times. And sometimes I will go in and play something and... I will hear the album later and I will recognize, hmm, I'm not on this song anymore. I was replaced, which I've seen it happen. I've been a part of it. I've been replaced a bunch of times and I've had my parts replaced where I've listened back and I'll notice, oh, that's my exact guitar part, but that is not me playing it. Okay, so they hired me to come play guitar. I played they liked my guitar parts, but maybe they didn't like the tone or the touch or the feel, so they had somebody else do it. I don't like it as much as the way that I did it, <laughs> but that's just the way that it goes. Sometimes the producer or artist has something in their mind of what they want to do. Honestly, I've seen people from amateurs to the complete pros get replaced on songs. I've seen Steve Jordan come in and replace a Nate Smith track. Nate Smith is my favorite drummer of all time. Steve Jordan obviously is a very dope drummer. But I saw that happen and I thought, whew, all right, now I can sleep at night. If I get replaced, I don't have to feel an ego about it. And I, Nate listened back to the track. He's like, oh, man, Steve sounds dope. And it's one of those things where you get to a certain point and it's just part of the deal. You know, it's easy to feel ego. It's easy to feel frustrated or mad that you got replaced. But 
It's just sometimes part of the deal. So that's okay. And hopefully you've done everything that you can to give the artist or producer the thing that they're looking for while you're there. But if they're just looking for something different, sometimes you have to reconcile that. It's not that they don't like curry. They just want Italian food tonight. That's my analogy. Anyways, to answer your question, yeah, there's like a Florida Georgia Lions song that I played on. I actually, I haven't heard it since I sent it. I played it on some Blake Shelton stuff. Um, there's a bunch of contemporary Christian albums that I've played on. This artist, Toby Mack and Mandisa, she's dope. They're both dope. I've played on some of their albums. Some of them you'll know that it's me when you hear it, and some of them you just wouldn't recognize that it's me. Um, I don't know. I've played on a bunch of stuff. Those are just the first ones that came to my mind, though, for whatever reason. Anyways, moving on. The next question is from Jake Singleton, who asks, how do you go about combining arpeggios and scales when soloing slash writing a riff? Well, first off, you have to have scales and arpeggios to the point where you're not thinking about them when you're playing. When you're improvising, when you're writing, you shouldn't be thinking about the shapes or notes of a scale. They should just be deeply ingrained in your playing and in your ears. So when you actually hear them, when that's the thing that your ears are calling for, your hands can follow suit. Sometimes we as guitar players will work on shapes and things and patterns, and our fingers will guide our brain and our ears. But I think when it comes to writing and soloing, if your ear is guiding you, ooh, I hear this thing going this way. Oh, what? it would be cool if it went do-do-do-do-do. Then your hands just need to be able to have that there. You need to have that ear-to-hand connection. And if you're hearing an arpeggio, you need to understand that that's different than a scale. Your ears and your hands need to know the difference, and your hands need to be able to boom, go there right away. Now, that being said, when writing a riff or soloing, I'm always just following my ears. Now, my approach to writing riffs or solos is always following my ear, but sometimes wanting to do a cool thing if I know that this part of something needs something flashy to do. So then I go to my bank of, okay, where are my ears telling me? Where is my taste telling me that something flashy needs to happen? What do I draw from that? Sometimes it's an arpeggio thing. Sometimes it's a scalar thing. Fine. But really... It's understanding my own taste and sense of melody balanced with, okay, it's a solo. I need to do something somewhat impressive here. Here's my bag of tricks and then go for it. The next question is from Ian, who's asking, what advice would you give to musicians struggling in the vastness of the interwebs? There's a lot of courses on direct-to-fan marketing and the like. Is it even feasible to digitally build a fan base in this day and age? Yes, it is more feasible than ever. Sure, the market is more saturated than ever, but there are more people than in the history of mankind on the internet. And there are more people paying attention on the internet than in all of the history of human beings. Imagine that you're Guns N' Roses in the 1980s and you're dope and you're trying to get discovered. You're only as good as the word of mouth about your last gig or trying to get in front of a handful of gatekeepers in Los Angeles or whatever. Now, you can go out, you can be from Varanasi, India, and you can put some dope videos on the internet and get directly in front of 
those Hollywood execs that might hire you. And honestly, you don't need those Hollywood execs these days. Can you build a fan base and sell out Madison Square Garden without a manager or a label? Yes, Wolfpack just did it last year, which is insane. That's been persistent digital strategy and just constant creating, putting out something that is unique in what it is with musical excellence and having beyond just a sonic fingerprint, a visual fingerprint and interesting digital marketing techniques that are very organic. And Wolfpack has never done a fan finder campaign or a digital ad campaign. That's never happened. It's all been organic. So that is, to me, somewhat of a fidget spinner, I guess, where it's like, there's tons of amazing toys. Why did the fidget spinner catch on? I don't know. It just did. It was the right thing at the right time for people, and it caught on. Okay, I think in some cases... There's that. There's a lot of luck involved. But I think because of the vastness of the interwebs, you can get a huge fan base through so many different avenues. And I think you should just find the one that you connect with the most. Are you a witty writer who can write two-sentence things really cleverly? Go on Twitter. If you can come up with some nice little 30-second videos, go on Instagram. If your audience is older than 27, I don't know, Go on Facebook. If your audience is younger and you do these little goofy, silly, looping video sort of things, go to TikTok or whatever. I don't know. Find the place where you connect the most and where your audience will connect with you the best and just keep constantly creating and discovering what connects with an audience, but also what feels the most fulfilling for you to do. Now, the way I lay it out is pretty simple, but it takes a lot of hard work and consistent work so, get to it. All right, this is a fun conversation, but I'm going to stop us for a second and give you a little reminder. Check that shop.fender.com. I actually happen to be on the website right now. I'm checking out this new player series. I'm looking at this Duo Sonic because it is a nice, shorter scale for anybody who might have smaller hands or even for kids if they're trying to find a guitar that's not quite full scale. Check this thing out, all right? Let's get back to it. All right, the next question is from Jeremy S. What do you find helps to motivate your songwriting and how do you fight through the feeling that something you're putting together isn't good enough to continue with? Do you approach songwriting as a nine to five activity or embrace the inspiration as it randomly comes? Wonderful question. And this is something that I actually feel pretty strongly about. I do music because it's my calling in life, but it is also my job and I need to treat it like it's my job. So I take it very seriously. I dedicate specific time to my craft and my business and my job. So some days I'm not quote unquote feeling it, but I have voice memos and videos of me playing little ideas from when I was feeling it and didn't have the time to sit down and do it. Maybe I was on tour at a sound check and I was playing a little riffs. Oh my gosh, this thing is cool. I got to record this so I don't forget it. In those other times where I'm quote unquote not inspired and I'm just sitting down and I've got to go to work, I'll pull up some of those things and it might spark something for me. Or sometimes I will focus on the objective parts of the craft, like practicing and execution sort of things. But as far as the songwriting process goes, 
sometimes I don't feel like what I'm writing is the absolute best thing, but I want to finish it for the sake of completing an idea. Because sometimes you're going to be writing with other people and the thing might not be so happening, but you just got to finish the thing. And then you might visit it a few months later and you'll have this one little idea that you can add or replace something from this other quote-unquote non-inspired song and it completely changes the thing to now being a complete picture that you feel amazing about. And I think that the diligence and dedication to the craft will get you farther because a lot of people don't realize that songwriting is a skill, just like playing guitar, just like pole vaulting. There's a lot of technique and there's a lot of skill involved in it. And the more you songwrite, the better you'll get. It's not just something that you have or don't have. So if you're not feeling it or if you're feeling like it's not great, maybe it's because you just need to do it more. So finish the song, keep writing, show up every day, and magically your songs will just get better. It's just what happens. The more time you spend focused practice playing guitar, you're going to be better at playing guitar. Same thing goes for songwriting. So take the inspiration when it comes because that's wonderful, but don't always rely on it. You have to show up for work because you never know someday somebody's going to hire you to write for their album and you have one week to do it and you can't rely on just inspiration. They're going to write you a fat check to write for their album and you just need to show up and you need to crush it. All right, two more questions I'm going to address. This one is from Isaac, who's asking, how do you deal with adversity slash setbacks when pursuing music as a career? Is there a specific instance like a creative rut or opportunity that fell through that you learned the most from that you could share? Well, there are a few. One of them being something that everybody can relate to in the month of August, year 2020, is that for the last five months, we've been basically on lockdown in the midst of a global pandemic. And for any of us in the music industry, the live industry just stopped. I think it was the week of March 13th or something. It was like, boom, everything's done. I had a tour in Europe that got canceled, bucket list festivals that I wanted to hit all gone. Big festival in Japan, gone. A bunch of touring in the US, gone. Well, that's a huge bummer. That is the majority of my year's income. Peace out. Well, I need to figure out a way to utilize my time the best that I can. And what if I actually used this to my advantage? What are some things that I want to accomplish or what are some things that I've wanted to accomplish for years that I've never been able to do because I'm always out on the road touring? Although this lockdown and quarantine has been a setback for a, a magnitude of reasons and obviously there's been a lot of things going on in the world that have provided us a better understanding that we need healing and unity more than ever. But musically for me, I found myself in a place where I thought, hmm, I've always wanted to do an acoustic record and I've never been able to do it because I've never allowed myself the time to do such a thing since Wolfpack started blowing up and my solo thing started taking off and it was all this electric, high energy, mostly funk music. I wanted to do the acoustic thing and this was the perfect time for me to kind of get outside of the quote unquote album cycle 
way of releasing things because the way that most artists release things is they'll go in an album cycle. They write and record an album, release the album, and then tour supporting the album, take a very short break, and then do the same thing again. Because there is no standard in the year 2020, and because I had so much time open around my acoustic instruments, I thought, bam, perfect time for me to take this setback as an opportunity to do this creative endeavor that I've always wanted to do. And I made two acoustic albums. It's kind of a two-part series, Trail Songs, Dawn and Dusk. You can check them out on Spotify or Apple Music or Deezer, Tidal, what, I don't know, wherever you listen to music. That's one way that I was able to use this time to really just start honing in my writing and recording chops from home. Another thing that has happened in my life is that Honestly, any band that I formally auditioned for, I have not gotten the gig. I've only done three auditions, but I didn't get any of those gigs. I get gigs because people will hear albums that I'm on or see me play with a band and they know what I do. And then I get hired and it's word of mouth and it's that sort of thing. And just connecting with the artist or producer. But I will say, every time I didn't get the gig that I was auditioning for, there was something else that happened that I wouldn't have been able to do had I gotten the gig. And one of those being connecting with the cats from Wolfpack. And had I gotten the gig that I was auditioning for, I wouldn't have connected with Jack or Theo or Joe or any, any of the guys from Wolfpack. And my life would be totally different now. So I'm thankful that I didn't get the gig. How about that? All right. My last question is from Mac. It says, hi, Corey. I'm a huge fan. Your music has always brought me a special kind of joy and inspiration. Side note, thank you, Mac. Thank you for all of your work. I thought I might try to submit a question for episode 12 of the podcast. Okay. A lot of your songs involve collaborations with other artists, but those songs still have your signature sound. How does the songwriting process work when involving other musicians as opposed to writing on your own? How are you able to keep it sounding like you? Well, a big part of that is that a lot of the collaborating that I do, especially for my albums, is for my albums. So I want it to have my sound and I want it to have my thing as much as it has the other person's thing. I want to be able to feature an artist that I really respect and want to collaborate with. I want their fan base to appreciate it, but I want them to also see kind of a little bit of a different side of them. And I want my fan base to see a little bit of a different side of me when I'm playing with a collaborator. And I think the intention is the number one. I want both of our fan bases and both of our signature sounds to be represented and respected. And there's a way to do that with literally any artist. You just have to find what is the fingerprint that I bring? What is the fingerprint that they bring? And what are some creative ways that they can work together to make the thing happen? And I think there's a lot of ways that that can manifest, but in the collaborative process, you just find what excites you about each other, and then you exploit those things in the best way possible. So I think being open to other people's ideas is really important because it's going to draw something new out of you that you wouldn't normally do on your own. And then 
being open to sharing your ideas in a collaborative process and in a writing process. Never hold something back because you think, ooh, I want to keep that for myself later. No, that is selfish. That is completely of your own ego, and it is wrong. If you are in a creative writing process and you have an amazing idea that sparked from the thing that you're doing at that moment, bring your best ideas all the time. 100% of the time, bring your A game because what it's going to do is it's going to train your brain to continue to bring your A game. It's going to train your brain and your creative muscle to keep going hard at all times. And creativity is a flower and a vine that blossoms. It is not a gas tank that empties. How many times do I have to say this? Well, I can say it as many times as people will listen, but I really believe that. And it's important that you respect the collaborator that you're with and they respect you you both bring your A game so you can make the best piece of art, music, whatever you're doing that's possible, and both of your fan bases will hopefully absolutely love it, and you'll both grow and flourish in your careers as well from that collaboration. How about that? There you have it. Season one in the bag. That's season one of the Wong Notes podcast. Guess what? I'm going to be doing a season two. One of the stories that I held back about an artist I played with, Gene Simmons. I got a funny story about playing with Gene. I'm going to talk about that in a season two podcast, so don't miss it. I actually have some insane guests planned already for season two, especially for those of you that like rock and metal music. I got some nice little surprises. And I've got even more of my heroes that are coming into the game. Hey, huge thanks to Premier Guitar and Fender for putting on this podcast Super stoked to be doing this. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next season. Ah.